The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I'd like to begin this morning by acknowledging the sadness and confusion that many in our body feel over the resignation of Pastor Ming Jin Tong. Pastor Ming is a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends. I want to be clear that there is no moral failure or scandal on his part. This is one of those moments in the body of Christ, in a family, in which we feel uh, pain, uh, uncertainty, we, we want answers. I, I spoke with Pastor Ming for many hours in the last few weeks. And if I were sovereign, he would remain as a pastor among us. I'm not sovereign. God is sovereign. He does all things well, even when we cannot see the good in it. So we don't want to minimize or pretend this is not a blow to our body. Nor do we want to lose hope that God is at work. He is at work, even in this. Pastor Ming shared many, many things with me from his heart. He shared them with me, and I'm privileged for that. And I will honor him and allow him to share his heart with this church, with different people. He gets to share what, when, and with whom he shares. And so even in this grief and lament, we hope in the one who does all things well. Let's pray. Father, we continue in worship. Worship is not a time of merely gathering to put on a face of happy, fake joy. It's not a time to impress one another with our pithy religious phrases. It is a time to come before the living God with all that we have, with all of our hopes, with all of our pain and sorrow, with all of our aspiration to bring to you and ask you that Jesus would be our portion, that Jesus would satisfy us, that Jesus would comfort us, that the Holy Spirit would be among us and forge us into a people who love God and each other and our neighbor. So we're here for that, not some trivial thing, but for the most important of all. So we pray that you would work among us now as we look in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Let's read that together. Acts chapter 5, 17 to 26. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, filled, and filled with jealousy, 
they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent them, sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The title for this sermon is the words of this life must be preached. If there was a subtitle, it would be the apostles' relentless commitment to preach the gospel. So let's look a bit of, a bit of context. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you've joined us. And one thing that we like to do at Bethlehem is feast on the word of God. And our general pattern is to take sections of the Bible and, and preach through them. So the, the, the Bible is divided into books. And there are different types of literature. Some are more like reports. Some are more like letters. They're letters to a people or even letters to a person. And so we work through these. And we want to see the big picture as we get in, down into the details. So the book of Acts... Is, is the accounting of what happened after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and what happened from there forth. Why was this, this reality didn't just, why did it not just fade into history? Why are we even talking about it now? It's amazing. What happened? And so the book of Acts is connected with one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Luke was written by Luke, and Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And some would just say it's one book. He really just wrote volume one and volume two of one book. And so we're in chapter five of Acts. We just re remind you that Pastor Jason began this series by explaining that the book of Acts is best understood as the Acts of Jesus. Jesus is still at work. In the Gospel of Luke, it's the acts of Jesus while on the earth. In the book of Acts, it's the acts of Jesus while in heaven. He's not distant. He's not apart. He's not disinterested or consumed with other things to do. Jesus is at work while in heaven. And we have this accounting of the early church. There are a lot of acts in the book of Acts. A lot of things happen. A lot of a lot of situations and occurrences, they're acts that we're to look at. So what's, how, how can you understand the whole book beyond Jesus at work on the earth from heaven? One way I think you could say that is 
the one true universal church and the word of God grow. That's what you see in the book of Acts. The one true universal church growing, the word of God growing. These growing. That's the emphasis of Acts. And here's, here's briefly six places. So what you see in Acts are the story, and then you have these summary statements. And then more story, more happenings, more acts, and then summary. More acts and then summary. So here's six summaries in chapter 6, verse 7. And li- listen for the word and the church growing. 6, 7. So the word of God grew. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then there's more story. We see Paul's conversion. There's persecution. And then Acts nine thirty one. Then the church Throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it increased. Then more persecution. The, the, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. James is murdered. Peter is arrested again and miraculously delivered. And then chapter 12, 24. But the word of God grew and increased. Then Barnabas and Saul are sent out by the Jerusalem council and have this missionary accounts as the gospel goes forward. And then it's summarized in chapter 16, verse 5. Therefore, the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in numbers. And then more, see the focus of Paul's ministry as he's prior to that converted from Saul to Paul, a persecutor of the church to persecuted on behalf of the church. For the sake of the gospel. So then we have in verse, in chapter 19, verse 20, thus the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily. And then finally, summarizing the book in chapter 28, 30 and 31, or boldly and without hindrance, he, that is Paul, preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this all about? What, what's the point? The point is, that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached. It will be preached and it will bear fruit of new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are countless, for our limited minds, virtually infinite messages out there. There's billboards. There's commercials. There's stuff all over social media. All of them calling you to life. And there have been countless that have come and gone. But there is one message that remains forever. And it will be preached. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will be preached and forged from the varied peoples of the earth. One people. God's people. His church for which Christ died. It will be preached in the face of stunning adversity. And hate. It will be preached in the face of stark blindness. It will be preached among numbing apathy, even heartbreaking hypocrisy. The gospel will be preached. The power of the gospel cannot be stopped. This was the relentless pursuit of the apostles to preach the gospel. The good news of the coming of the God-man, his perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, continuing reign, and impending return. They set aside all other aspirations. 
They endured persecution. They aligned themselves with God. His message of salvation through the Son. And they aligned themselves with God's people. They did not bow to political, social, religious pressure. They did not pursue the fame of their own names. How amazing! You always know when it's election season around here, don't you? We can just say the names. You don't have to, you can put your fingers in your ears and squint your eyes and you can't help it. How many names are lost? How many names are forgotten in history that were on a huge billboard? Roosevelt! Caesar! Nobody thinks about Caesar today when you go pay your taxes. It's another Caesar. This government too may may pass. But the one name, the one message will stand forever. They did not pursue the fame of their own names, but the fame of the one whom they worshipped and served and in whom they placed their hope forever. So let's look at our text together. We pick up after the incident with Ananias and Sapphira and, the subsequent, and a subsequent period of miraculous signs and wonders in the growth of the church. The high priest and those who are with him rise up again to arrest the apostles. This is mind-blowing to me. And it illustrates the reality that it does not matter what sort of miracle, what sort of testimony one witnesses, if their commitment is to their own glory, they will pursue it at all costs. In the face of miraculous healings, wonders and signs, again and again, the only thing the high priests and Sadducees can think about is their own status and how this is a threat to their position. This is the second time that the apostles have been arrested. There's no confusion over why they were taken to jail the first or second time. The first time, Acts 4, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I have to say, every time I read that, I just, um, I think about, (laughs) in a way, I didn't ask their permission, so I'm hesitating, but I think about my children who, when growing up, would often use this phrase, that's annoying. It's like the, one of the worst things you could say to somebody at, a, at some point, you know. Oh, do you know uh, Steve? Yeah, he's annoying. Do you know Carla? She's annoying. Dad, you're annoying. So I don't know exactly. We weren't there. But the, the depth, the, the, the high priest dealt with annoying people. And he dealt with them by saying, stop that. And he fully expected that his Authority would be followed. You're annoying me, stop doing this. Why they were teaching the people and proclaiming to Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So this is the second time now. Acts 5, 17 and 18. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him. Now you sense that it's, there's a greater intensity. It's not just annoying They're filled with jealousy. 
Now, again, this has happened. This is happening in, in the context of public, miraculous signs and wonders. There's no doubt. The apostles are doing things that cannot be done by human power. People are being healed of their diseases. It's not modern medicine. It's miraculous Holy Spirit power. And in the face of this, they do not tremble. They are not overcome with awe and wonder. They do not seek the one who does this through the apostles. They're filled with jealousy. So they arrest the apostles and put them in prison. This message of Jesus' resurrection is transforming lives, validated by miraculous signs. And instead of marveling that God's power is on display, the religious authorities are threatened and eaten up with jealousy. The point is not the weakness of forced incarceration, as if the apostles don't have the power. The point is that God is greater And the words of life will be preached even when all power, all the power of man is brought to bear to silence it. The gospel will be preached. It doesn't matter if you have guns, if you have governmental authority. You could take every gun, every weapon, every army of the entire earth and seek to silence and you will not. So, verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. I couldn't help but think of my mom. When my mom really likes something, she says, this is delicious. She speaks of her grandchildren that way, my children. They're just delicious. She speaks of a situation that's just wonderful this way. I don't know if you see it. Why is this, I got to say it, please don't feel that I'm being irreverent. I I don't want to be irreverent. When I read this, this verse, I just think this is delicious. Why? Who delivered the apostles? The God, the Lord could have done it anyway. He could have animated a plant. He could have sent a normal person. He could have just done it without any other intervention, but he sends an angel. Who is opposing the apostles? The Sadducees. You know what about the Sadducees? They don't believe in angels. Acts 23, 8. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. Don't you look like a bunch of fools. Verse 20. Go stand and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. In most prison break stories that I know of, if, if, the, if the story is such that the protagonist is the prisoner, so you're rooting for them, and they, they're in the prison, and they finally escape, they run, and they hide, and victory is a beach somewhere where they've thwarted the people, they now live without their freedom, not in this prison break story. These prisoners go right back to the scene of the crime and do the same thing they did in the first place. They were told to stop what they were doing, but they did not. They could not. They simply lived what they said. 
So back to the, after the first imprisonment, Acts 4, 17. But in order that they may, may, it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Put us in prison, we'll trust God with that. We still have to speak about what we've seen and heard, the words of this life. So back to chapter 5, the high priest calls the council together. When they're all ready, they send for the prisoners. (laughs) I mean, this is just great. I mean, they're sitting there. We don't know, right? But just imagine. I mean, they are pompous people. They're full of pride. They're they're secure and and convinced in their power and their religious authority. Okay, everybody, let's get in the room. You got your LaCroix? Everybody comfortable? You sitting in your padded chair? All right, bring in the bring in those rascals. Bring in those those they would probably say a bad word. And they're just sitting there ready. And they start to get a little, man, what's taking so long? We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. They are then perplexed. What is this going to come to? Then someone comes and reports to them. And this is evidently, this isn't one of the group. This is like, I don't know. This is like somebody who just likes to stir it up. They like drama, I think. Look! (laughs) The man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned to the people. It is noteworthy that even though they had the people on their side, or power on their side, excuse me, speaking of the apostles, it is noteworthy that even though they had the people on their side and could have defied the authorities, they went willingly. They could have said, no, (laughs) we're not going anywhere. They went willingly. However, I want to make one point here. It seems clear that Luke and therefore the Holy Spirit want us to see the stark contrast between the good fruit that came from the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember what the good fruit is? Pastor Kenny preached on this. The good fruit is that the people feared the Lord. They saw what happened to Ananias. They saw what happened to Sapphira. And a great fear overcame them. And of course to the world it's like, that's not a good thing. It is a good thing to fear the living God with whom all men have to do before whom all will stand who is the judge of all so we have the example of Barnabas at the end of chapter 4 who's an example of glorifying God and loving God's people contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira who are hypocritical lying thieves and are struck dead we are to be motivated to God-glorifying acts when we read about Barnabas. We are to feel a sense of fear of God when we consider Ananias and Sapphira. Think about this, how good this is. What if you are considering hypocritical acts? 
What if you're considering stealing? What if you're considering lying and your mind goes to Ananias and Sapphira and you say, I don't want to go there. What a grace. We are to feel a sense of fear of God when we consider hypocrisy, lying, stealing. Here the high priest and the council are not afraid of God and what he can do to them if they persist in their rebellion against him. They are afraid of the people. Fearing man, not fearing God. Now I want to do, here's what we're doing the rest of the time. I'm going to circle back to the words of this life. I want to dig into that just a bit and then, and then some application. I'm going to circle back to the words of this life. The words of this life is what they are commanded by the angel to go preach. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Brothers and sisters, we must understand what are the words of this life. This is the core. Everything hinges on this. What are the words of this life? Very simply, the gospel of Jesus Christ Not a formula, but a reality. Not many, 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 many words. All the words of this life, as if books stacked to here. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In John 6, Peter replied to Jesus' question of leaving him with the assertion, with the question, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. In Acts Chapter 315, Peter's message to the men of Israel at Solomon's portico. He says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts 4.2, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Other examples, just a few in Scripture. I'm, I'm hoping that this is stirring in your mind. The words of life throughout the Bible. John 3.16 that we see so commonly. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. Hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believe it in vain. For I deliver to you as a first importance. When the Bible says first importance, it means first importance. No tricks. Pay attention. We pay attention. So what is it? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Timothy 1.15. Of these words of life. Again, not a formula. A reality that can be described faithfully in different ways. As it is in the Bible, 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. You can only say that. That is not how it works in the world. We get together and we say, I'm not as bad a sinner as you are, as he is, or she is. The words of life free you to say, of which I am the foremost. Giving life, that life produces that freedom. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead. These are the words of life. They were imprisoned for preaching it. 
They were set free and charged to keep preaching it. So, a few thoughts of application. The words of life, the gospel, are the center, are the point, are the hope for man. We have a little thing, I think many of you would know, we moved here 2003, August 2003, and uh, to lead the college ministry campus outreach. And... uh, we use a little, we, we like little grid, little, little mnemonics in Campus Outreach. We talk about evangelize, establish, equip, export, the four E's. Kind of insider language, but anybody's welcome to have at it. Another thing we talk about is identity, community, and mission. The gospel is not merely the hope that one has for salvation and then some other means to grow in your faith. The gospel is the hope of salvation, the message of salvation, and the means by which we grow in that salvation. So our identity is always rooted in who Christ is for us. Not in someone else's declaration, not in a membership somewhere, not in this group's affirmation or that group's affirmation, or our effort, our merit. Our identity is always in the words of this life. So I exhort you and myself, ask God for the power of single-minded hope in the gospel for your identity. Why, why could these apostles defy the command to keep their mouths shut from the high priest? Was, was it because they were spiritual supermen? They got an S on the chest? A special anointing? I don't think so. I don't think this was a, a unique anointing, this particular, this com- particular grace. It was an expression of the grace that we all have as we find our identity in who Jesus is for us. They had set their mind on Jesus. Anyone else's opinion, material gain, rules, mockery, the world's standards just didn't matter. They were hoping in the one who had set them free from sin and the specter of death and the heavy yoke of religious duty. Their identity in Christ, the words of this life. Secondly, community. I'd say it this way, love the conviction of the Holy Spirit and reject the condemnation of the devil. What what do the words of life do? They produce in us a love for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He does lots of things. He guides us into all truth. He comforts us in our affliction. He also convicts convicts us of sin. And we are apt to love the guiding and love the comfort, but to despise the conviction. And what happens when we love the ministry of the Holy Spirit? By the way, all of this is rooted, right? It, the, Acts is a, is a book. It's all tied together. So what happens in Acts 1? Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he promises the Holy Spirit, and he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to be given... And then we see that happen. 
So we're not on our own. We're not left to our devices. We're not reading a treasure map trying to figure out what it means. What, did, what were they thinking? The map, the author of the map is with us as we seek to walk forward in the Christian life. We don't have to learn a new language. We don't have to figure out what was happening. The author of the map is with us. And he says, preach the words of this life. Preach them to yourself. Preach them to each other. And preach them to the world. So in this church, in this community, we love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We reject the condemnation of the devil. I want to just take a moment to, to give you a quick, I want you to see this with me. In your mind, put conviction, condemnation. I want to, I want to contrast those. Conviction, condemnation. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction is characterized by specific specificity, specificity. Condemnation is characterized by generalization. Example. When you shaded the truth to your brother, you were sinning. You can feel that. Condemnation. You're a mean, bad person. Conviction is characterized by repentance. The fruit of conviction is repentance. Condemnation is, the fruit of condemnation is condemnation. So when the thought comes, or the accusation, or the sense, I shaded the truth. I can repent of that. I can apprehend it, bring it to God, ask for help to never do that again, confess my sin to my brother or sister, and be restored and reconciled. I don't know how to repent of being a mean person. Ken, you're a meanie. Okay, I'll stop being a meanie. Like, whoa, what are we talking about? That's what the devil does. You don't add up. You're not smart enough. You're not attractive enough. You don't get it. You're not as good as the other people in the church. Broad condemnation. That's what the devil does. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't operate that way. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in conviction is laser focused so that the gift of repentance is at hand. I, I do want to say that I see in our day this I, I suppose it's always been there, but it just seems to be rising on a tide of rising. The tide rises and falls of what's, what I would call contentious rhetoric that plays into demonic condemnation. Words, not words of life, words of condemnation. All you people need to quit being like that. I mean, that's what I see. That's what I see when I, I don't actually have a Facebook account. I try to shield myself a bit. My wife helps me out. She's good for me in so many ways. So I'll, I'll tune in a bit. And what I see so often is this, it's, it's like I'm going to stand on this virtual 
platform and yell at the world about how everybody ought to be, because I get it and none of you do. Y'all quit being like that. This isn't filled with grace. It isn't filled with clarity. It isn't filled with specificity. There's no way to repent of it. It's so far off and so obscure and yet can hit so personal. I do not believe it's from the Holy Spirit. I have not yet met someone. And you're probably out there and you're going to send me an email. It's okay. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I have not yet someone over a matter of great controversy who felt strongly on one side, who read a Facebook post and switched sides. I've not yet seen it. I've seen brothers and sisters get together, pray together, have sharp disagreements, and I've seen God show up in repentance and faith. I have not seen life transformation over contentious rhetoric in our world. I've not seen it. Our community, our community is undermined when we throw verbal condemnation at each other for the world to see. We want to be in step with the Holy Spirit and used by him to preach the gospel to ourselves, to each other, and then finally to the world. Ask God for the power of single-minded, faith-filled, bold confidence in the gospel to share with others in word and deed. I didn't talk to Brother Paul before this. I think we've all been in similar situations. We've been on the airplane, someone sitting next to us. I think this is a door. I don't really want a door for the word right now. What I want is a nap. So we ask for help. We ask for help here. We don't put ourselves forward. I'm bold. Look at me. We say, I'm weak. Let's help each other. Let's help each other be bold, confident in the gospel, sharing with others in word and deed. It's a work of grace to be a grace-filled person. There are plenty of folks that preach the gospel for selfish ambition, who are harsh and prideful. Let us be like the early apostles who barely glanced at the opposition. Where's Paul? Oh, they took him back to prison. I mean, excuse me, Peter. They took him back to prison. It's true for Paul later. Oh, well, let's go see him. Hey, where's Peter? Oh, he went back to the temple. <laughs> How do they keep up with these guys? Because of their single-minded devotion to preach these words of this life, the gospel. The unshakable promise, this very gospel, saves them and they belong to God. Our worship team, if you want to start making your way up, that'd be great. I asked Pastor Chuck and the worship team, who I just love every one of them and so thankful that they give their time and talents to serve us week after week. I'm re- I was reminded, I asked for this song. I was re- reminded, I am a bit of a Lord of the Rings geek. If you're not, it's okay. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, don't think you're cool because you like Lord of the Rings. And I don't think you're not if you don't. Um, but I do. And if, you're, if you do know the story, you remember that as the band is fleeing, seeking to get out of the mines of Moria, the... And they're fleeing the Balrog, the servant of evil, 
Gandalf stands in the way and says, you shall not pass. Death is pursuing you. Death wants you. Wants to squish you down until your last heartbeat. Death wants you. The devil wants you. Hell wants you. And just like Gandalf stood in the way, but no fairy tale, the reality, Jesus stands in the way of the devil, stands in the way of death and says, you shall not pass. And ushers us in to his eternal life and fellowship with him forever. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.